Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another episode of the Recruitment Flex. So we've been talking a lot about employment brand. We think it's critical. So it's going to be exciting to have another employment brand expert on this episode. But first of all, let me welcome my co-host, uh, the lovely, talented, um, the smartest person I know, Shelly Billinghurst. How's it going, Shelly? Oh, gee, thanks, Serge. It's going great. Uh, you know what I love about today's episode? So much of what we've done has been so either Europe or the U.S. Um, so today is fantastic because we finally get like what's happening in Canada. So um, yeah, super excited about today's episode as well. So and are you doing okay, Serge? Like how, how's your week going? I'm doing fantastic. I think you've been super Summer, busy, right? You know, yeah, it's been super busy, which is good because obviously with everything yeah. going on with COVID, we're really seeing an impact on the other side that uh, a lot of companies in US and Canada are starting to hire quite a bit, which is for my day job, excellent. I'm, uh, I'm excited to get people back in the workforce. So that's been good. The weather yeah. has been extremely hot here in Western Canada, so I'm happy about that. I'll never complain about hot weather. So yeah, no, all good. But uh, yeah, we should probably introduce uh, Jason. Yeah. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, Jason's on the standby here. I get the, the honor and the privilege here to introduce Mr. Jason Kipps. Uh, Jason is the managing director of uh, for Canada for the company Universum. Um, also, he's got a like a long career in talent acquisition and was one of the former board members for the Talent Board's Candy Awards for here in Canada. So welcome to the show, Jason. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, so we're going to talk about employer branding, but from the Canadian perspective. But where I'd really like to start is, you know, when I... I was first introduced to you. I creeped you a bit, took a look at you on social media. Um, you've got a super cool background in HR and talent acquisition. So how did you make this leap over to employer brands? Like give us the Jason story. Uh, yeah, it's, um, it is, I guess, kind of unique. I, I, I started in talent management, uh, as an expedition guide. Uh, so running, uh, adventure programs and uh, expeditions for adults and doing corporate work, helping to break down silos and helping uh, people within companies to communicate together more effectively. Mm -hmm. uh, that led me into helping to select those teams, which had me working in team selection in the NHL uh, and uh, worked with a company that was doing a lot of assessments around aptitude uh, we were processing mm. about uh, 10,000 assessments a week, uh, somewhere in the world wow. in 42 different languages. Um, and then that led to us developing online screening tools, like uh, you know, screening tools that helped companies to quickly uh, deselect the wrong candidates and help the wrong candidates to self-deselect. Uh, and then we started to package that into, um, you know, web pages uh, and essentially employer branding before employer branding was a thing uh, and helping companies by providing them within the skin of their own websites, uh, you know, screening tools that could begin online interviews to candidates 
because your best candidates are looking on a Sunday night because they don't want to go back to work on a Monday morning and they want to talk to somebody when they're ready, uh, not necessarily yeah. when a hiring manager is available. Uh, so giving companies the tools they need to do that uh, you know, in real time uh, and then packaging that, which led to employer branding. Uh, and then years ago, I went to uh, be eight years ago now, I went to an event where um, our current head of marketing uh, for Universum was speaking at the event and it kind of turned me on to Universum. I liked that it was, it was it's a European, so Universum's mm-hmm. headquartered in Stockholm, Sweden. And that European influence, uh, you could really see it in the design and the, and the graphic design. And after mm-hmm. you know, working with many companies and for a company, running their marketing for five years where we were always on such, such a shoestring and working with a company which was a lot of hockey players, uh, not necessarily having the, um, uh, the sensitivity to branding uh, and really investing in that branding and graphic design. Finally, when I came across Universum, I was really interested in the company just from that branding standpoint and mm-hmm. uh, started getting involved. And now I'm managing director for Universum for Canada. And that's been about eight years now. Wow. Awesome. Um, Yeah, I do think, uh, you know, and and do uh, have come to learn and understand that really Canada is a little bit behind in terms of adopting this, uh, you know, the whole idea of employer brand. I mean, to me, it's just been instinctual. It's just been, well, of course. Um, But yet it does, it does seem that Canadian companies, and again, I mean, I'm going to put the question to you because, I mean, you're leading it for eight years. So, you know, when you look at Canadian companies and, and their, their talent attraction strategy or even, even, even wrapping their arms around their employer brand, um, you know, what, what have you seen here in the Canadian market? And, and are, is my perception correct? Like, are we really that kind of out of step with our partners in the U.S. or even in Europe? Yeah, I, th- I think we're definitely behind. I think we'll we'll always be behind the U.S. I think. I mean, you know, the the, U- the American culture is uh, evolving, changing, shape, reshaping right now. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what that future holds. But definitely, when we look at uh, the Canadian approach to employer brand, succession planning, to talent acquisition, I think it's a fair statement to say we're behind the U.S. We're definitely behind Europe. Um, you know, uh, we're definitely behind LATAM as well, um, who are leaps and bounds ahead of us in terms of attracting talent through social media, as an example. Um, you know, in Canada, I think we still, if you compare Canada to the U.S., I mean, you know, the best example I can use is when, you know, recruiting and fighting to get the talent that you want is part of the fabric of American culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, a mar- I'm married to an American. I'm uh, intimately familiar, and and I've spent a lot of time living in the U.S. as well. It's not uncommon to see a scout at a little league game uh, hunting yeah. for the talent that they want, and that doesn't happen in Canada. Um, you know, really? so I think, yeah, you know, I think from a, an employment perspective, I think a lot of employers are both of the perspective of you know what if they don't want to work here, well, pardon my French, screw them. They can go find some other place to work, we'll find somebody else. And I think that that is fading. Uh, I think, especially when it comes to the harder to acquire talent in, in engineering and IT, for example, they are still wooed in an old fashioned way, I think. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but other, other talent, uh, you know, business degrees, um, in general, like marketing, uh, arts degrees for sure. It is, you know, it's, it's, uh, we're still looking for that other shoe to drop a little bit. So I think we're starting to catch up. Um, those companies that report into U S headquarters or European headquarters are already on board typically. Um, there's a precedent for spending money on an employer brand and developing an employer brand and, and investing in your brand mm-hmm. to demonstrate to your candidates that you're invested in your company as you're asking mm-hmm. them to be. Um, investing in the candidate experience, all those pieces, I think, you know, are more common when there's a precedent for international organization. Same as diversity and inclusion. I think, that, you know, those companies, when I talk to Canadian clients that report into a Canadian or U.S. headquarters, they're already been handed, you know, targets and things like that, which are still pretty new to us in Canada um, to make sure that a certain percentage of your hires uh, self-identify as black Canadians, for example, is still pretty kind of foreign. Um, I would and, agree with that. Yeah. Uh, so it's a little yeah. bit of, of a different landscape, I think. Mm-hmm. And we, it's not necessarily apples to apples. I mean, I think, you know, personally, I think we, we've got a lot of work to do uh, in inclusion or especially around Aboriginal, Métis talent, LGBTQ talent, you know, some of these other areas that have a longer history um, in Canada of, of not being treated fairly. Um, so I think we have different, you know, a different focus, different, and, and sometimes for companies that report into a U.S. headquarters, it's really them trying to educate these Canadian companies, trying to educate their American leaders about those differences. Yeah. And that's actually a big focus. Uh, I find mm-hmm. work, um, is helping companies to bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. No, that's interesting. And, uh, one of your earlier points that I thought was interesting too, is, uh, how people start looking for different companies usually on Sunday night because they, they have, I guess what we call the Sunday dread, uh, where they're, they're not looking <laughs> forward to working on Monday. And, and, and I saw that I spent a lot of time working at Indeed and Workopolis and our busiest traffic time was always Monday morning. Um, as far as peak traffic, Monday morning, 8 a.m. to like 11 a.m. I think people going to work have a bad day with their boss and they're like, fuck this. Uh, I'm looking for another job. So I, I think yeah. that's an interesting view of that then. But I looking back at Canadian and employer brand and uh, working in the industry, a lot of companies don't take employment brands seriously. Um, do you think we're seeing that changing overall? I think from what you're getting, a lot of companies have partnerships in the U.S. or owned by U.S., so we're starting to see that a little bit more important. But if we dig in a little bit deeper, are you seeing industry industries that are leading the charge as mm-hmm. far as yeah. employment brand? Is there a particular industry that you're seeing? Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, we definitely see that in yeah, any industry that requires heavy lifting in terms of uh, engineering and IT talent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because, because everybody wants that talent. So, um, you know, I think, I, I think we still have chronic unemployment of students here, for example, we've got a really high unemployment right now in Canada as well, just generally. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that talent, it seems to always be able to find a home. Um, so I think those organizations that fight to get that talent are used to, like, they've got skin in the game. They've been, they've been fighting for this talent for a while. Uh, and employer branding is a solution to that, right? Um, I do think that, you know, HR, I think across North America is an evolving field as well. I don't, you know, I think different organizations take 
HR seriously to a different degree. Um, and, you know, when we look at like pharma, for example, um, you know, some of these industries, the HR leaders are highly skilled, highly professional movers and shakers who are in the business, understand the business, understand how to report out on metrics and speak the language of the C-suite. Uh, then we have, um, you know, many companies that that's not the case where HR is more of a perfunctory function where it's, you know, tracking benefits and making sure policies are, are working. You know, I have worked with, I can think of one manufacturing uh, firm here in Canada um, with a pretty national scope that doesn't have HR still to this day, that they pride themselves on not having HR um, oh, I because it. they feel like that that really ha- hamstring them, right? And and they they think that they can get the benefits of having HR without having kind of the, the infrastructure or the bureaucracy that m- might be perceived to come along with that. Um, and I think, you know, that, that gap between different levels of professionalism in HR uh, and different levels of understand, understanding of some of these concepts, uh, you know, means that, that I can do the work that I do and, and kind of fill some of those holes for organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely, I think HR in general still has a ways to go. I mean, employer branding has a ways to go uh, and, and so does HR and, and we're getting there, but um you know, I think I remember when I took my my HR designation, I, I after working in the field for many years, I went and challenged the exam. And one of the questions on the exam was, you know, do HR has a role to play and has a t- has a seat at the C-suite table on major decisions? And it was a true or false question. And I said false because I, my experience was not growing up up in with these companies and what i found was it wasn't consistent and more often than not hr had to fight to have their voice heard they had to fight to get to that table but they didn't necessarily have a seat at that table they could visit and that was about it and i'm not saying that that's not how it should be but i was answering those questions based on the reality that i saw it in the field and my assumption was of the exam so i didn't i actually didn't check for about six months and my i was going to ask you what's said, the you know what's paid yeah, and I and I did pass. I did, I, I just assumed I failed. Yeah, you passed. I was answering but all what was the right What was the right um, answer to that one? I don't know. I never saw the 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 correct answers, but I could tell by the flavor of the questions that they were asking me like an HR professional who had been who had been drinking the HR Kool Aid, right? That yes, I advocate for these things and I believe they should be, but my experience in the in business tells me that that's not the case, you know, mm-hmm. um, as much as we'd like it to be. So I think to get back to your initial question, I think you know, di- I think different organizations embrace that differently. I think the um, you know more creative type organizations will embrace HR more. I think definitely companies um, really fighting to get that uh, that digital talent. Um, often are embracing employer branding more because it's harder to get that talent and they have to have a way to stand out. Yeah, I think you made some great points there. And uh, myself and Shelly always talk about it is, first of all, employment talent 
when you ask a question to an organization who owns talent and they say HR, usually that company's in trouble. If the senior executives across operations through and basically across every level are not owning talent, that's a challenge because um, usually HR doesn't have that seat at the table. And the other side of it as well, we correlate talent acquisition to employment brand, and that's not always a reality. Talent acquisition to me doesn't, all, especially in large organizations, is not a part of HR. So it's really interesting to see how that's going to evolve. Uh, we're starting to see different trends in the talent acquisition market, the employer brand of and um, so you've been part of a lot of great transformation at universe and with companies you've worked with you might not be able to share the company but can you share us a story of someone that probably had say a really shitty um, employment brand and you were able to help them and turn it around um, anything specific there yeah I mean that's something um, well I think so that's that's work we love to do. I think the challenge with that is if if the if the brand hasn't gotten the attention that it needs um, to be effective, that's typically either because it's not understood what's required uh, and what's missing, right? So that's a problem because if they don't understand what they're not getting, then that it's hard for us to get that in place, um, or they just don't care enough about it to to it's just not seen as a priority. Um, so I, I think we, we have been, I've been pretty fortunate in, in my career with Universum in that we work with, I mean, we work with every accounting firm in Canada. Uh, we work with every bank in Canada. Um, we work, we do a lot of work in automotive and oil and gas. Like our client list is, is, you know, the, is most of the TSE, uh, 300. Like it's, it's, uh. It, it, it's a pretty fortunate position to be in to be able to get sort of C-level access. You know, um, we did uh, Loblaw's employer brand um, for multiple different divisions and our meetings with Loblaw were, you know, companies, you know, the, the one-on-ones I have are with an intern who's been put, put in charge with an, of employer branding because the company just doesn't understand it. So, um, it's still all over the map. Um, you know, we kind of treat all those stakeholders the same. They're still people. Um, and, uh, but we have been fortunate to kind of be involved in, in really from the ground up, really managing that whole experience from, from beginning to end, um, from the, uh, you know, from the initial outreach to uh, to all of the social media marketing material, to all the recruitment marketing, to the job descriptions, to the candidate experience, through to onboarding, really helping companies to define their employee value proposition and our approach is to really focus on research. So uh, we typically study internally, you know, what true reality is internally. Uh, then we, from... Uh, interviews with senior leadership stakeholders, we understand the current state and future state of the company. Uh, then we go out and find candidates, uh, much like a recruiter would, but we incentivize those candidates to tell us what they think about this company, what they think about the recruiting competitors this company has, uh, what the key application drivers are for those candidates. Um, and that gives us a real precise lens in terms of, you know, what the true reality is, what we can credibly promise in the market, uh, what perceptions we need to correct, uh, in the mind of this targeted candidate, how to differentiate from recruiting competitors, 
uh, and we test all of that before we even develop any material. Um, so that you know, it puts us in a unique position. I mean, we we've collected candidate insight from 1.5 million candidates in Canada, um, about 1.7 million globally every year. Uh, we have the largest data set of candidate preferences in the world uh, and the longest running survey of student preferences in Canada. Um, so we have a lot of data on what uh, companies targeted talent think about that company and what's important to that talent. Um, so that means that we can avoid kind of just testing content off of a little focus group and really yeah. develop from beginning to end content that we know is going to land, we know is going to run and resonate and really, you know, move the ball forward. Yeah. Wow. Do you know that? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sean. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Dive in. Cause I'm, I I'll hold on to my question. Cause go, go search. For sure. And I would just wanted to dig on, uh, on one thing and James brought it up in our conversation and I completely agree with it. A lot of companies uh, relate their employment brand to what their Glassdoor rating is. Um, any insights on your end? How do you feel about that? Uh, I know in most organizations uh, working as a TA leader, when I come in, the first thing they want to look at is like, how can you get our Glassdoor ranking to be better? Because it, it sucks right now in reality. And one of the points James made, and I agree with it, usually your Glassdoor rating is, is based on actually your recruiting process. Uh, if your recruiters are promising something that's not reality when they come in, and this happens a lot, sometimes this is a disconnect between uh, the recruiters and the organization and what the employee value proposition is and what they've been told what it is. But in reality, when you're on the ground floor, it's completely different. So what what's your feelings overall about Glassdoor ratings and um, companies really correlating that rating to how well they do on employment rent? Well, I, I think it is a measure. It's one of many. Um, you know, people don't go to Glassdoor because they had a great candidate experience. <laughs> Um, yeah. You know, that's not why they're there. I, I think, you know, being proactive about that for a company is really critical and probably the missing piece. Um, you know, responses are written, uh, crafted in the moment, typically, if at all, uh, to negative reviews. So our approach is to think about it in terms of community management. Um, you want a negative review to appear in the sea of positivity. You don't want it to be one of the only reviews and it's negative, right? So I think that's part of it. I think companies really miss out on those organizations that have a developed employee value proposition often fail to integrate it. Uh, they, you know, and often that's because whoever was put in charge, at least from my perspective, whoever was put in charge of, you know, developing an EVP or sourcing a vendor to partner with on that EVP, may not be the same type of person who is an effective change agent in the organization. So somebody got wind of this EVP thing. We need an EVP. We don't have an EVP. Okay, now we have an EVP, but you need somebody then can, who can navigate that and push to integrate that in all the different ways you interact with a client. So to James's point, I would agree that it's usually part of a negative candidate experience. The missed opportunity is to integrate that EVP into the candidate experience, into job description. So if, you know, for example, if we're doing research and determine, you know, the, um, the career path for advancement is the most important thing that you can talk about to get the candidates you want. It's the thing that they associate with you. It's the thing that they don't think your recruiting competitors have, and it's what they want to hear about. Well, you need to open with conversations about that then, right? And I think that's where we have the disconnect um, and I think one of the things you can do to turn negative reviews around in Glassdoor 
something I really enjoy doing actually is, is you take that negative review, you respond to it, but use it as a way to launch into the attributes that you actually want to talk about and that your candidates who are reviewing this are most interested in hearing about. So yes, you respond to that initial question or an initial concern or initial criticism, but use that as a launching pad to then go into the key attributes that you know you should be talking about to attract the candidates that you want. Not just the candidate you're responding to, but all the other candidates who are reading this review. This is an excuse for you to talk about that thing, that change that you made. So, you know, you see politicians do this all the time where they have their key talking points and they will respond to the initial question, but they'll get back to the key messages that they want to focus on pretty quickly. And I think you can use Glassdoor effectively in that way in terms of community management, where you just use this as a launching pad. Thank you for your concern, um, you know, and, and, and address it in a sincere way. But, you know, also to integrate those other aspects of your EVP into that response, I think, can be an opportunity to turn something negative into a win. So, you know, you kind of touched on here where I wanted to head. Um, and that is, you know, talking about some of the things. So what I'm hearing you say is just ignoring your Glassdoor reviews is really a missed opportunity. Um, I agree. Like just pretending it's not there. Like I didn't see it. I didn't see it. You know, we're not going to do anything about it. Um, that's what I hear a lot of, you know, companies are so scared or they um, immediately discredit the Glassdoor review as, ah, sour grapes, right? But, you know, there's something to be said if, you know, like you mentioned, if it's one negative review in amongst 100 good reviews or even 30 good reviews, or if there's a pattern here, like every second or third review, it has the word toxic in it, you know, like, so, you know, outside of that, is there any one thing, you know, that our listeners, because most of our listeners, um, Jay, are, um, talent acquisition practitioners. Um, and, you know, is there anything, any other thing that you can see as like, um, let me help you out here, guys. Like, here's one thing to avoid that you can yeah, leave for sure. our listeners. So I think, yeah. So not, I mean, as you mentioned, you know, not, not burying your head in the sand, you know, so yeah. just because you're not responding doesn't mean it didn't happen. Yeah. And isn't it better that it happens on a property that you have access to that you can manage or in the case of social media that you own, isn't it better that that negative review happens there than in some other space where you have no opportunity to respond or spin it or, or deal with it at all. So I think that's the first piece. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think uh, being proactive as well. Uh, so understanding before this happens, who's responsible for responses on Glassdoor? You know, what's right. the process? What are we talking about? What it's a hot potato. In a lot of companies, it's a hot potato. Yeah. 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 And, and, and which means it's going to be slower for you to respond, right? So you should almost have the, your response to negative reviews written before those negative reviews happen, mm -hmm. right? So then you can say, okay, I want to get to this, but, you know, and, and then you do the initial response that's more, you know, immediately reflective of that criticism, mm -hmm. But, but there's always some things that you kind of, you know, if you just went through a cultural audit, for example, and you're making changes as a result of that audit, well, you're probably going to talk about that in a glass door response. No matter what they talk mm -hmm. about, you're probably going to talk about that. So if there's things that are already happening in the organization that you're already doing to proactively address this, and if you have an employee value proposition where you know, based on research, 
statistically what attributes of the career are going to be most compelling to the candidates you're trying to attract, Mm -hmm. it's already half written for you, right? So I think, you know, being proactive, understanding what your policy is, understanding what your policy is in terms of response time, who's going to write it, what it's going to include, um, you know, that takes a lot of the fear out of it for organizations, I think. And I would say it's the same with, with any social media when you have a, you know, a approach to community management. You know, what is your community management policy? You know, how quickly do you respond? Who is responsible for responding? You know, what key things are we saying right now? Um, I think just understanding some of that and, and taking some of those unknowns out of it is, mm-hmm. can be really helpful. So just if I could, Thank you. I just want to ask one more follow on question to that. So in, you know, when you look at your clients in terms of who controls that, that narrative, is it usually talent acquisition or is that narrative controlled by marketing and corporate communications? Like who owns how to respond? Like I get Corpcom can help us write it. But so when you look at your clients, where would you say the majority of, of your clients, where does this responsibility live? Yeah, I think it's different for each organization. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, for some organizations, you know, employer branding is part of onboarding, right? So, uh, you know, I can think of one of the big telecoms in Canada where, you know, employer branding lives in training and development because it's the, part of the onboarding process from their perspective. So I think, you know, as this field emerges in this country more and more, we're getting a little more structure around this. Um, we also do community management a lot for clients where, okay. where we work with them closely enough that if there's any question from a candidate, there's any question or any negative review, um, you know, it's actually us responding. It's not the company. Um, and again, because we're of our research-based approach, I often tell clients, you've got about 60 seconds with a candidate. It's probably a lot less now. Um, and if they're younger, it's even less, you know, like, like Gen, X, Gen Y and millennials not known necessarily for having a, a super long attention span or, or maybe rightly so that they're, you know, they, they have a higher sense of urgency perhaps where, you know, you got to get to the point. So if a candidate, if you come across an ideal candidate on any of these platforms, you might have 30 seconds to correct a misconception about what your organization is like, maybe a misconception about your people and culture. We can tell you statistically what those misconceptions likely are based on having so much candidate research. And then you've got another 15 to 30 seconds to land on the right compelling story to get that candidate to move forward with an application, maybe in six months when they're ready to apply. If you're talking about your diversity and inclusion and your corporate social responsibility, and they're more interested in your career path for advancement and your training and development opportunities, even if you have the best training and development and the best career path in the world, if you're not talking about it and your recruiting competitors are, you're going to get it wrong every time. So really understanding, you know, what do your candidates want? What do they think you, of you? What can we build on? What do they credibly associate with us? What perceptions do we need to correct? And if we only have a 15-second window with a candidate, what do we talk about, right? And that's what that is. It's a, it's a little tiny window to talk about the right thing. So as quickly as you can, you want to get back to that right thing. Awesome. Thank you. Really good point. That was so, really um, good. Thank you. Go search. If we look at 2020, uh, obviously 2020 has brought a lot of changes. If we look at obviously COVID, Black Lives Matters, and there's so many things going on in the employment brand world. What... Um, if we look at recruitment, marketing, and employment brand, what do you foresee as the 
big a disruption in the market. Is there anything coming on the pipeline that we see that's going to disrupt both the recruitment marketing and employment brand market? Yeah, I think funny we were talking about this with my team. I mean, those things that you mentioned, obviously, you know, life changing culture shaping. We have this other little thing about to happen in the U S called the U S election. Yeah. Right. So I think, you know, I, 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 we've been talking about this just internally with Universum do, you know, what, because we do annual surveys of candidates in each country uh, and what questions should we add reflective of black lives matter reflective of COVID and what questions should we add that we don't know we need to add yet because the world is about to change again, potentially. Right. So I think, um, you know, I'm not sure what the answer is to that. Everybody wants a crystal ball right now. I think, you know, I, I do see that when we look at candidate preferences, we're definitely seeing more of a priority around safety and security and stability. Mm-hmm. People want to make sure they're going to continue to get a paycheck. They're more attracted now to companies with broader shoulders, you know, that can weather this kind of storm. Uh, we're also seeing, you know, a lot of the banks who would have rescinded offers in the last recession aren't this year. Um, with the current crisis. So I think when we look back to the last financial crisis, uh, we can take learnings from that. And I think a lot of the major FIs in Canada are really kind of absorbing that and thinking, okay, we need to do it differently because that hurt us in the long run. So I think we're getting through the end of that. And now people are like, you know, in a process where it's not just a temporary thing. This is the new normal. Um, You know, when we look at content in terms of what's going out from companies. Uh, In the last month, we've seen a real decrease in content related to COVID and a five times increase in content related to Black Lives Matter. So I think this has a potential for more good news um, in terms of companies being able to share their good news story where there's a lot more sort of uh, negativity and bad news associated with with COVID. It's hard to spin that as a good thing. Um, whereas, you know, there's opportunities to showcase what you are doing, or at least to showcase that you're opening to open to learning about what you're not doing when it comes to Black Lives Matter and, and some of those diversity and inclusion issues. So, um, I think we'll see more of that. Uh, but I think the, you know, the U S election and, and what happens with that election and who accepts what results as a result of that, we don't know what's going to fall out of that, um, and I think we're still waiting to see, you know, job numbers after the summer, after people have really kind of checked out for the summer, maybe take an extended time, um, you know, as, as September comes and people really get back at it. I think that's when we're going to see, you know, the other shoe drop. Which other shoe? Perfect. Well, so. <laughs> Sorry. When you that? say the other shoe the drop, like, yeah, like what is your prediction when you say the other shoe to drop? When well, the jobs number uh, I think, election, uh, what's, what do you think is going to change? Well, I think I think the <clears throat> what's going to change. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I, I mean, I think when I, you know, I do, I we do see hiring increasing, right? So we do yeah, see sure. more demand. There are yeah. some. There are some industries where. Um, where specifically, like even teaching, we know that uh, in Toronto, I think they're hiring now 365 additional teachers. You know, we're definitely seeing changes in education and different fields that Mm. um, are supporting, uh, you know, supporting our our population through the crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there are some industries that are booming, like pharma, for example, 
um, coming out of this. So I think we'll continue to see, you know, some of those changes build. Uh, but then I think, you know, we could continue to see disruptions of supply chain. We could continue to see, you know, those organizations and companies and manufacturing, for example, where people are working shoulder to shoulder, either to develop yeah. new technologies, um, you know, to, to make that possible under the new COVID reality or, you know, continued layoffs um, could also, you know, probably even more likely. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think the numbers are going to get more grim before they get better. But again, I think the big, when I say the other shoe, I think it's the U S election is the, is the big unknown. I mean, our market, as you know, is so influenced by the American economy. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if democracy really is on its way out, um, that in the U S um, you know, that, that could mean real dire things. So, um, you know, who know, we don't know the, the range of possibilities right now with the American election, if, if Trump loses and whether or not Trump accepts that or not, uh, and whether or not there's a, a still a postal system between now and then, I think, um, you know, those are some pretty big institutional macroeconomic things, mm-hmm. right? So I, I think all of those could have a, a global impact. Yeah, boy, it's like reading a good book, right? What's going to happen next? That's right. Yeah. 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 Although I am not an economist by any means, and there are a lot of people out there who who have forgotten more about this than I know. But um, yeah. you know, just based on you know when I think about our clients and uh, and what we see in the talent market, um, you know, I think those companies that are able to really demonstrate their stability through this, mm-hmm. um, you know, are going to be in a better position. For sure. For sure. Wow. Awesome. So this has been like mind blowing. Thank you so much. It's, it's so great to hear um, a Canadian perspective, but also, you know, realize too that out West here, we're to say we're maybe a little slower to, to catch on to some things as well. So it's great to hear what's happening out in Eastern Canada. Um, So, so if people want to find you, um, Jason, where can they find you? How can they reach out to you? Yeah, the um, I've got a few little things here. So, um, you know, you can catch me on LinkedIn, uh, um, you know, all these places. Okay. So So you've got Twitter. uh, Slack and Twitter. So Jay Kips, uh, J J underscore Kips. uh, J-A-Y. On Twitter. That's right. J-A-Y. Good point. Yeah. J-A-Y. Jay Kips uh, on uh, Slack. So, Jay, this was really good. I think your perspective on employment brand and uh, recruitment marketing, especially, but everything you talked about was not only focused in the Canadian market. I think a lot of it is translates into every market. So for listeners across the world, um, I think this perspective is really good. So on that note, really, Jason, really appreciate you coming on. Hopefully we'll have you on again as the world changer, as you say, the other shoe drops. I agree with you. I think the other shoe is the federal election in the, or not in the u.s i think that's going to have a massive impact but again thank you really appreciate it thanks for having me appreciate it thank you i know okay we'll talk to you soon take care bye-bye
The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.